the trust relationship that can be built when we really, you know, can relinquish our control and say, I know that my kids do, you know, their bodies can do what they're going to do best. And our kids can relinquish certain controls to us and say, okay, it's my parents' job to do X, Y, and Z at mealtime. I don't have to, you know, put my stake in the ground so hard. And that trust is where intuitive eaters are raised. Welcome to Mom Strength, a podcast and movement to empower, educate, and showcase mom strength inside and out. I'm your host, Surabi Veach, physiotherapist and fitness coach, also known as the Passionate Physio. Join me for discussions on movement, mindset, and motherhood, where we raise the bar and challenge the status quo. Get ready for expert interviews and real, honest conversations where we explore physical, mental, and emotional health. Let's celebrate the beautiful diversity and common experiences in all of our journeys. Let's do this. Hi, friends. I'm so excited today to be chatting with one of my online friends, Ahuva. Um, Ahuva has the best tips online for helping families with picky eaters um, take that stress away and just help them find more positive relationships during mealtime and positive experiences. And of course, I'm going to do an official introduction um, for her. So Ahuva Magder Hirschkop is a mother of almost three under five, a registered dietitian and online course creator. She runs a pediatric-based nutrition practice in Toronto, focusing on working with families to reduce mealtime stress support positive family mealtimes, and support mothers in reducing the mental load of feeding their families. Ahuva believes in the immense power of a successful family meal, but that as busy moms, giving our family the nourishing meal they deserve can only take so much out of us. Ahuva can be found online on Instagram at at Ahuva RD. RD stands for Registered Dietitian. So hello, Ahuva. Welcome. I'm so happy to have you on here today. I love it that like as you're already like the mental load of feeding your family, you're like, uh-huh, yes, that. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know what? It's it's exactly that. It's the mental load of like thinking of what you want to – like making sure there's something for everyone, mm-hmm. like planning ahead, making sure it's at home. And when it's just you, it's like easy to just say like, yeah, I'll just eat whatever. I'll eat eggs and toast, yeah. right? Yeah. But then when you've got kids too, like we care so much about making sure that they're healthy and supported. Um, and it's such a mental load. So why don't you tell me about what, a little bit about you and what brought you into this journey, um, you know, wanting to be a dietitian. So I'd love to hear. Oh, that's a, that's a loaded question. I have so many ways that I, that I can and do answer that question because how I, you know, became a dietitian, I was one of those kids who knew what I wanted to do by the age of like 10 did you? Um, nice. I was, uh, you know, what we would talk about in the 90s as quote unquote overweight as a child. I was actually yeah. bullied for, you know, being fat in fifth grade, um, mm. which was a very fun time in my life. And so was taken to a dietitian, you know, to talk about how I could build the healthy habits, um, you know, by parents who wanted to do what was best for me. Um, even though some people listening might be like, hmm, is that what you would do as a, as a parent, you know, in, in 2021? And the answer would probably be maybe not. Um, but you know, they were doing their best. Yeah. Um, and so I was taken to a dietitian and had the experience of sitting in front of someone whose sole job was to talk about food. And I was like, 
this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. You can make a profession out of talking about food. Like, where do I sign? And that was the moment that I decided I was going to be a dietitian. And, and you know, when I was sort of thinking about where I was going to end up and how I was going to, um, you know, practice with people, I always said I would never in a million years go into pediatrics. It was the one place that I was never going to be. I didn't want to work with kids. I didn't want to work with families. I think it was also before I had children. Yeah. Um, it's a totally and, different experience once you have kids. <laughs> different experience. Yeah. And part of – I also am allergic to wheat and gluten, and so I've always been interested in, in food allergy. And so I ended up uh, doing some clinical research at the hospital for sick children in Toronto around diagnostic methods for food allergy and working with parents there. And that was the first time that I had the experience talking to parents, um, again, even before I had children – of, you know, what do I feed my kids? My child is, and that was the experience of them, you know, being allergic to so many different things and really saying, you know, how can I actually nourish my child when they have these these 15 limitations? And it was right. such an aha moment for me that, you know what, feeding another person is not always simple. It's not always just like put dinner on the table and let's just, um, you know, all sit down. And that was a really eye-opening experience for me. And through that, I started talking to other parents and hearing, um, the stories and then having my own and, you know, understanding that mealtimes can be stressful for a variety of different reasons, but they can also be such a beautiful time. And how do we really support families and bringing back, you know, the beauty that can be a successful mealtime when it's so stressful for these various reasons. And that's sort of where, you know, my, my program and uh, my practice more from there. Nice. And I, I think that many of our listeners can probably relate to that, you know. I feel like grade five, grade six, grade seven, grade eight, like it's just an awkward period. And mm-hmm. there's many kids that are bullied for being, you know, overweight, too thin, too pimply, whatever it is. Yeah. But back in the day, like back when we were growing up, there was a big push on like making sure you're eating healthy you know, not becoming overweight. And I feel like now, maybe because I'm in a different circle, but there's a little bit more awareness that BMI is kind of, you know, not the be all and end all and kids are healthy at all different sizes. So can you tell me a little bit more about that? Like what do people come to you because their kids are struggling to eat because they're picky or is it because they're overweight or a bit of both? Uh, I think that it's, you know, and in my practice, it is a bit of both. I, I tend to work with, you know, a lot of the younger kiddos. And sometimes it is, um, you know, my my kids are uh, picky. My kids are not eating um, or they are. They're eating too much. They're eating too much of the quote unquote wrong things, right? They love <laughs> snacks. They don't love yeah. meals. Um, my doctor said that they're at the highest, uh, you know, percentile of body weight or of size, and so they want some, you know, they want to look into it. I've definitely had parents who are like, my pediatrician wants to put my four-year-old on a diet. Oh um, you know, I sort of get all all the gamut of that sort of things. And I think the the reality is that where a lot of the stress comes from, whether it's picky eating, whether it's you know whatever it is, is that number one, a lot of us were raised at a time, you know, sort of as you're saying, where size was the biggest indicator that we looked at in terms of health. Yeah. Right. Were you um, if you're too small, you're clearly not healthy because, you know, you're not eating enough, you're not growing enough, you're not, um, you know, growing well. If you're too big. That was my then, experience. I was yeah. the too, I was the too thin taking to the doctor because I was too thin. And that for, you know, I see in my practice as well is very cultural, is mm-hmm. very, you know, can be yeah. depending on um, what your background is, depending on, you know, where parents, grandparents grew up can definitely be a very cultural thing. 
Um, and I, I do hear that, you know, quite a bit. My child can't possibly be healthy. They're, they're too small. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes it's like, you know, a father who's five, one and a mother who's four, eight. And they're like, my <laughs> child is so small. And I'm like, okay. That's that literally my parents. <laughs> All of us are five, two, five, three. And my mom would take me to the doctor and be like, she's so thin. And the doctor would be like, look at you. Like exactly. this is called genetics. But right. I love that you talk about that. And then of course, you know, the other, the other end of the spectrum where yeah. um, they're being told by their unfortunately sometimes by their doctors too right which um for me that's a tough thing because you know I think actually how we connected was on a Facebook group because we were both on a thread where there was a mom who was being told that her child was unhealthy because she was too big and you know the child wasn't and it was just like this pressure for especially for girls probably Mm -hmm. more so it's like with managing weight at such a young age we don't want to be like putting those thoughts into their head. So um, tell me a bit about what kind of strategies that you like to use when um, encouraging families to have less stressful meal times. So, you know, inside Food Foundation, which is my group coaching program and one-on-one program, I really work to take a really like a giant step back with with parents to number one, I call it my, you know, my 3C method, which is getting clarity around where do you actually want to go? Because I think that for so many of us, while we can all acknowledge that we grew up in a time, and I say we, because when I take my dietitian hat off and put my mom hat on, it's no easier for me than it is for, you know, with all of my training and whatever. And I'm like, it's my kid, so it's different. Okay. It's just, it's different (laughs) when it's my family. Um, You know, as I'm sure that we all do. It's true. So it's even getting clarity really on what are the goals that you have around feeding your family, right? Um, is it, you know, do you want your child to be healthy? And maybe a lot of parents in their minds, even if they don't want to, are associating that with size, are associating right. that with some sort of, you know, visual representation of what that could look like. And asking the question of, you know, if, you're, if you know that your child is healthy, living in an actual healthy body, uh, but their size is larger than maybe you anticipated or is smaller than maybe you were, you know, hoping for, whatever that means, um, how would that feel for you? What are your actual goals? And then gaining clarity and supporting parents in, you know, the how do we get there? Because, you know, I've heard from so many parents who can say, you know, I know what I want to do with my parents, with my kids. I know that I don't want to raise them the same way that my parents raised me. Again, acknowledging that that's not a bash on, you know, any of the parents who raised us in the 80s, 90s. It's just, it was different. It was a different, different way times. that we thought about things. It was a different way that we thought about health, right? Yeah. Um, And so, you know, the how do we get there? Because parents often are not confident in how they're feeding. They're doing it. They're doing it day in and day out. They're doing the things. They're putting the food out. They're all of those things. But, like, they don't really know why and they don't really know how. Um, And so when we talk about what that mental load looks like for so many parents, it's not only the how do I actually get food on the table and how do I you make sure there's enough for everybody. It's also the, okay, what am I going to do? How am I going to handle it tonight if my kids scream? How am I going to do this tonight if my kids refuse what, I, what I'm, you know, serving? All of those questions. And it's like two hours before mealtime. And then you make a decision at a meal, right? You're like, mm-hmm. okay, so I did give them an alternative. I didn't. I, well, you know, whatever that looks like. And then there's the hours afterwards that you're literally sitting there being like, did I do what was best for my kids today? Mm-hmm. Did I support them in, in you know, raising um, you know, healthy, intuitive eaters? Did I work on those foundations? Should I have done something different? And by the time we're done with that mental stress of, oh my gosh, am I screwing my kids up because of what I did? Yeah. We're turning around and it's lunchtime. 
So, you know, we're doing it all over again and really being able to have that confidence allows you to take whatever the strategies we're putting in place and do that consistently, which is where trust is able to be built between parents and kids, which is something we don't talk about enough in the feeding space is Mm. the trust relationship that can be built when we really, you know, can relinquish our control and say, I know that my kids do, you know, their bodies can do what they're going to do best. And our kids can relinquish certain controls to us and say, okay, it's my parents' job to do X, Y, and Z at mealtime. I don't have to, you know, put my stake in the ground so hard. And that trust is where intuitive eaters are raised. Mm, I that was love a very that. Like, long-winded answer, but that's that's how I support parents in, I, in what we do. I love that because trust is huge. And I find that in general, we, we have kids without realizing that they're like an separate human being with their own thoughts feelings wants desires that's completely separate from us yeah and their decisions don't reflect on our poor parenting if they're not going to eat the broccoli that you serve yeah and I feel like many parents take it very personally for me because I was a picky eater I have way less stress around my kids being picky eaters because I know that They'll survive. They'll eat what they need to. They're given healthy options and things will be okay. But, but sometimes it's interesting because some of the picky eaters that I you know, ex- work with who had such um, rigid rules, let's say, around the dinner table, right? You have to finish everything. You have to try something. You have to sit there. Right. They go to the whole other extreme of like yeah. you want – I don't know, 99 chocolate bars at 7 o'clock in the morning, just do it because I don't want to – I'm so fearful of putting rules and having yeah. that setting boundaries. into what yeah. I – exactly, like putting putting boundaries, even healthy ones, or even identifying what's a healthy boundary and what is, you know, just moving into like this stressful experience that maybe you had as a kid around, you know, your parents putting rules that maybe felt arbitrary or maybe felt like really – hurtful to you and I don't mean you personally but to you know in to general you yeah in general um and so really you know working through how do we put healthy boundaries in a way that doesn't feel more stressful to you as an adult because of your experiences as a kid and so recognizing that the way that we were raised around food impacts us and still does mm. in the way that we're going to raise our kids around food so it's like even processing some of those mm-hmm. past his yep. or past not uh it kind of I think most of the people that I work with don't tend to have a very positive relationship with food because we were raised at a time where it was a little bit more finish everything on your plate you know parents know right how could you know what you need I know best kind of attitude which again is just what was the norm back then you know there are very few people who grew up especially women who grew up with no body image issues or who don't have baggage you know, who don't have <laughs> yeah who don't have baggage around food and even for, like I always think about this I'm like I was raised very thin or I was thin I was always trying to gain weight and I still have baggage so there are people who were yeah. bullied for being bigger and then there's there's that next level baggage so mm-hmm. um you know do you work with I guess you probably have to deal with some of that mindset aspect yeah. too. Yeah, and I think um, that's that's a really big thing. And it's sort of why, you know, picky eating is something that I work with. But a lot of it is uh, where I love to focus and where, you know, I've sort of shifted my practice is how do we raise kids with positive food relationships as opposed to, you know, the way that – and it's fantastic, don't get me wrong, every single person and woman specifically who has had to put in the work and who has – 
to come to a place that they feel um, happy with their relationship with food, happy with their body, not in any sort of like aesthetic, you know, sense, but just sort of like, how do I feel in my body? Can I even like just ignore my body and live like live my life? Because I think that's a great thing also. Um, And I think that that's like the the work that a lot of us have had to put in to do that is fantastic. But you know what? Can we help our kids avoid having to do that work? Can they just have that be their norm for their entire lives instead of having to put in the work to undo those past relationships to undo those past experiences and the reality is that even for adults who have come to it you know in later in life and as an adult being an intuitive eater having that ease with your body having that comfort looks very different than raising a child that way Mm. and the rules that apply for us as adults don't always translate to kids so sometimes it is sort of like you know parents being like I've had these aha moments and I've Uh, you know, shifted how I've interacted with my body and I have um, come to a place and here is what I'm doing. And sometimes we have to say, you know what, like, that's great that you're doing that. And that's perfect for you as a 30-year-old woman, as a 40-year-old woman. But that's not how we raise kids to get there. Mm, And that disconnect is also something that the parents have to explore quite a bit. Mm, That's, that's a great point. I definitely feel that like when you're not given a strategy or a plan to, or when you don't have a great outline of, like you said, clarity of where you want to go, you default to kind of how you were raised. So, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, for me, I really subconsciously, subconsciously, I trust that both my kids will eat what they need to, but there, there's other times where I'm like, Oh, you know, finish, make sure you finish that before you eat this other thing Mm -hmm. and I'm like why am I even saying that because you really have to step back and be like am I just regurgitating what I've heard like a thousand times growing up and why am I doing it and then there's Um, sometimes where like my my daughter will be like um you know say something I forget what she said to my husband that she was like I want a different spoon and it's my body so I get to choose and I was like (laughs) okay that was not quite how we meant for that message to be interpreted but excellent use of that but like I was gonna say no. very good decision making <laughs> I know I know I always tell so my my kids are in daycare now my daughter is three and a bit and they the first week of daycare she comes back and she's like they told us we have to finish our food and you know what it wasn't the first week it was the first day that I was doing a visit with her mm-hmm. they were like make sure you finish your water make sure you finish your food and I loudly said I'm like you can drink as much as your body needs if you don't finish your cup, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Because I think that in the school system and in you know daycares, school teachers, it also depends how they were raised and what their beliefs around food are. Sure. Because totally. that's going to be the things that they kind of push onto the kids. And so I'm constantly telling her like, you don't have to finish your bowl. Because again, I'm she's a great eater, so I can say that. I think maybe if she wasn't a great eater, I might feel more. For stress and so, around that. you know, I think that parents sometimes don't even realize or don't acknowledge that like those food relationship pieces and those um, is any like is like any conversation that I think that we as parents in the 21st century need to be mindful of having with our kids, right? Whether mm-hmm. it's about, um, you know, like I'm Jewish, we have, we will have conversations about like anti-Semitism with our kids, right? Racism right. conversation yeah. that we're going to have to have with our kids of like, you know what? We love everybody, you know, regardless, and not everybody feels that way. I don't like homophobia. We love everybody regardless. Not everybody feels that way. Size, 
we like you know we think that all bodies are beautiful and all bodies are great bodies not everybody feels that way here is how we in our home think about food and view food and use food not everybody feels that way and so sometimes we're so cognizant of like um you know all of those other conversations and not enough of having the conversation of even before like I know that it's Canadian Thanksgiving this weekend right like before you walk into um a gathering with people or like I shouldn't say that because of COVID but if you are walking into a gathering I was gonna say if if (laughs) if this was not COVID situations if wherever Um, you are in the world is exactly if you're allowed to walk into gatherings with people then you know being able to say to your kids not everybody feels the way that we do about food and i i go through these kind of scripts again with with you know the clients inside food foundations is like when you walk into a room as your kids get older you know what what you know like i like i would say that like what mommy and and abba that's i call my, my husband like what our expectations are of you how we view food in our family no matter what anybody else says here. Your grandma tells you to try something. Your uncle tells you you need to finish your plate, your whatever. Like, you know how we feel. You know what our family's expectations are. Like, don't be afraid to, you know, follow them out in the world, irrelevant of what another person of authority might tell you. (laughs) Another adult, yeah. Another adult, another daycare teacher, another whatever. And, like, my daughter has gotten really good at being able to say to people, I'm actually listening to my tummy. I love that. My son will say, I'm actually done. And like, even if it's my parents who say it, who like they love and adore and, you know, would like think are the greatest. But like my dad has like jokingly said like, oh, are you going to finish that so you can have dessert? And my daughter has like looked at him and been like, um, I'm listening to my tummy. And my tummy says no. Uh, <laughs> and she'll say it. Like she'll, she has no problem with it. But I think that those are – it's important to be able to say like and give our kids permission to do that when they're faced in similar situations. You have a picky eater who like really doesn't want to go somewhere because they're stressed. Say, you know that you can eat what you want. No matter what, no matter if someone says, well, auntie, whatever made this for you. You can say, mm-hmm. no, thank you. Yeah, I'm and good. And that's okay. You know what? And I wish, like you said, that we had learned that as kids. So we're not unlearning all of mm-hmm. the years of people pleasing just because somebody else yeah, made this, right? Exactly. Because I think there's just such a fear of offending. And I'm like, you know what? We have to do what's best for us. Now, I'm vegetarian. I was raised a vegetarian. So I got away avoiding certain foods just because I'm like, oh, I can't eat it. There's meat in it. Or I can't Mm -hmm. eat it. There's something I can't eat. But even even going beyond that, it's like there are people who are like, oh, but they're, you know, just try this. And there's like dairy in it. I'm like, no, we avoid dairy in our family. But there's this pressure. So we talk about that a lot in our home because of that. We'll say other people drink cow's milk. We drink almond milk or oat milk. And so, you know, and that's okay. Um, And I think that that conversation around like, so what was the phrase? My tummy feels or I'm doing what my tummy feels. Or I'm listening to my tummy. I'm listening listening to to my my body. Right. My tummy said I'm all done. My tummy said no thank you. Um, And being able to to put those scripts into like they just have that phrase so they don't have to sit there. Because kids, you know, like I still panic in, in, you know, like with people in positions of authority and I'm a grown woman. So, you know, kids often are like, I don't know how to properly um, address this. And so then they just sort of like panic and they don't know what to do. And that can feel really stressful for them. So, you know, just having the conversation before and making sure that they know here is how our family views it here at home, at this party, at this get together, before we walk in, like, if someone says something to you, you know, how, how, you know, like I feel about it, you know, how, um, 
like me and my husband feel about it, whoever the, the parents are in, in your home feel about it. And you need to listen to your, to your own body when we're inside. And what a beautiful way to build that trust too. So mm-hmm. your kids know that no matter what, you have their back, even exactly. if you're at a family gathering, yeah. right? right. Um, I, I think that's awesome. That's amazing. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about some of the tips that you have around, let's say you're having dinner, you, you come home from work or you're working from home and you're exhausted. You're setting food down on the table. Kids, one of your kids doesn't want to eat it. What are some strategies that you can use in the moment to kind of get through that dinner with the least amount of stress possible? So I think that it's, you know, taking the stress off of parents to recognize that it's never your job to get people to eat, right? I think Mm. the two most common questions that I ever see around picky eating or kids in general is number one, how can I hide vegetables in something? And number two, (laughs) uh, how do I get my kids to eat? And both of those come down to that trust element, right? Right. If you hide things in your kids' food, do you think they're going to trust you at mealtime? Right? If they're if the analogy that I always give is if you had a personal chef who sometimes enjoyed putting poison in your food, or sometimes mm-hmm. like I don't know, yeah. put laxatives in your food, like would would you try it? Because probably yeah. not. And yeah. so that's really how our kids feel when we start trying to hide things. Number one, and number two is just taking the onus off of parents. Of it's not our job to get our kids to eat; it's our job to to provide the opportunities for them to, right? And so being able to sit, you know, have parents, and sometimes I do this with parents who are really super overwhelmed, is write out a list of what your job is, right? And so it's sort of like, did you put food on the table at 5 p.m., 6 p.m., 7 p.m., whenever your dinner is? Did you do that? Yeah. Did you even provide a balanced meal? Because then, like, I don't really care if it's, you know, a granola bar, yogurt, and fruit, like, you know, carbs, protein, some sort of fruit or vegetable. If you did that, let's pat ourselves on the back and like call our job done. Amazing. Does it have to be a beautiful meal? No. Does it have to be Pinterest worthy? Absolutely not. Do your kids even have to eat it? No. And you've done your job irrelevant. And so really taking that stress off of parents to recognize what is their job and what isn't their job can really be helpful in terms of just reducing that stress at meals. And it also allows us to then take a step back and say, okay, have we actually set up our kids well to do their job, right? And their job is to decide if they want to eat and if they want to eat, how much they want to eat. And sometimes the answer is no. And that's really when it allows us to just take a problem-solving approach, right? How can we, you know, maximize this opportunity? How can we take the best out of this opportunity? And that's when we can look at and say like, you know what, if my kid had a snack at 5.55 and dinner's on the table at six o'clock, did we set them up well to eat at dinner time? And the answer is no. And Mm -hmm. so that's okay though. How do we problem solve that? Mm -hmm. Right? How do we then work together um, to really make sure that we can capitalize on every opportunity that we have with our kids? And so changing that from sort of like, the stress of what's actually happening in the moment to how can we use this as a learning opportunity, even if your kids come and they're like, I'm not doing anything at dinner time, how do we then learn from this to do better next time is a very different experience for parents. And it's a huge relief too, knowing that in the moment, it's not your job to try to force feed them or, you know, push food on them. It's your job to provide, provide that opportunity. But also Um, that not every single meal is do or die. Right. right. Like yeah. think about it. If we, I think I did the math once of, you know, during quarantine, especially when parents were really providing three meals and two snacks and everything, how it's like 38,000 meals in like 
I don't know, like like something crazy that we that we um, you know are doing in in the amount of time that our kids were home. And so recognizing like not that we don't want to problem solve and not that we don't want to do better, but recognizing like if you're feeding your kids from when they're zero to they're eighteen and they're out of the house, like how many opportunities do we have to give them these lessons to? to raise them with healthy food relationships. And so even sometimes I've had clients who come to me and they're like, my child is five years old. Is it too late? And I'm like, we have so much time. Yeah, would it have been better in theory if we did it from day one? Would it yeah. have been better if we addressed it at one years old? Maybe, but is it too late? No, because how many meals do we have? How many learning opportunities do we have to really turn this around? And like, that's, an, that's, to me is the biggest, you know, stress reliever is like not every single meal, they have to eat an entire bowl of broccoli in order to, you know, know that we're going to be doing the best for our kids. That's amazing. Uh, It's so, you know, to summarize kind of what you said, it's never too late to build those positive habits. Um, And no one meal, no one experience, no one week is going to make it or break it. So if you've had a stressful week, because that's the other thing that I see. Some people go through really challenging times and they're Mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, I've been putting, you know, not the best foods in front of my kid. But you're right. It's just a short period of their lives. And there's so much other time to make the best out of it. What are some ways that families can, when they are stressed, or when they are busy, provide a nutritious meal quickly without having to kind of make a gourmet meal, other than like getting takeout, of course. But um, Which is also they, great. Which is also a great option. Also a great option. So number one is I like to call um, – I like to keep things on hand to make oh no meals. And oh no meals to me means, oh no, I didn't think of dinner. Or <laughs> as, as I did this week, oh no, I actually don't feel like making dinner. So I'm yeah. not going to. Um, and, you know, I have a list of things that, like, my kids love even having, like, sandwiches, like, egg and tuna sandwiches. They love having scrambled eggs and toast. They love having, like, you know, just having a list of things in your head where you can be, like, there doesn't have to be that guilt of, oh, I didn't make dinner. I should have made dinner. All those thoughts that have to happen. Like, I, I now can go from, oh, no, I didn't think of dinner and it's 5 o'clock to, great, I'm going to pull out one of these things right? Great. I'm going to do one of those things. There's no emotion attached to it. There's just, you know, here's what I've already kept in the house. I know that I can pull it out as necessary. And so just go to that. Or, you know, don't be afraid to use grocery store staples. Not every single meal has to be homemade to quote unquote count, right? Doing something like a rotisserie chicken um, and, you know, having like chicken sandwiches, right? Some Like pull some bread out of the freezer or like if you have something there, um, or doing wraps or doing something like that that is easy for your family. So don't be afraid to use grocery store staples. Um, nice. But having those sort of like back pocket things already um, taken care of and accounted for can be a really great stress reliever so that it's not sort of like that whole mom guilt that we all, myself included, love to put ourselves through of like, oh, mm-hmm. I should have thought of this. Why didn't I think of this? What kind of mother doesn't think about dinner? Right. Clearly, I'm the worst mother in the world because I didn't think about a gourmet dinner that I could have made for my kids. Um, And so that's, you know, those are some of my best strategies. And also just taking a peek on Sunday at what your week is going to look like and then how to manage your expectations accordingly. Right? Sometimes in planning ahead for oh no days, you're like, oh, that day looks busy. So I'm going to do Exactly. Like sometimes when parents are like, I should meal prep or I should meal plan. Right. And they're like, on Wednesday, I'm going to make a prime rib for dinner. 
it takes four hours, it's going to be great. But they don't account for the fact that like they're working a full day on on Wednesday and then they have dance class for one of their kids and they have hockey for another kid and then they have soccer for another kid. And like they only get home at seven o'clock and bedtime is supposed to be eight o'clock. Like really is that prime rib night? Yeah. Right? Like and so taking that into account just in terms of how you actually plan uh, plan out your day and plan out your week can be really helpful for a lot of parents because don't a thousand percent that mom is going to feel like crap on Wednesday when they haven't made the prime rib that they should have never expected themselves to make to begin with. So setting yourself up with kind of positive habits, you're setting yourself up for success. Yeah. When you were talking about the oh no thing, this is an analogy that just came to me. It's like when you're driving and you're like expecting to go straight to go home and then there's like a road closure and you just take a detour. So it's not, you're feeling guilty for not getting, you know, home the same way that you were planning to. It's just like, oh, here's an alternate route. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one of our go-tos, if you're listening and you're a vegetarian, is like a can of beans, kind of black, black beans or chickpeas um, with like rice and mm-hmm. like frozen veggies. Perfect. Throw a bit of tahini on it or soy sauce or whatever sauce you have in the fridge, salt, pepper. Beautiful. It's quick. It's easy. Um, and, you know, yeah. taking that pressure off has made a huge difference. Yeah. Going back to basics, right? Like remembering that not every single meal has to be. I think there's so much pressure and I could go – you could have a whole other podcast episode on bento box lunches. But there's so much pressure that it's put on parents now to not only have a meal that is – First of all, food. Second of all, balanced. But then also looks beautiful. Make for it pretty. Your, you know, beautiful, like gourmet every single night. And like, it's just not, it's not the reality that so many of us are living in. And if that is your reality and it brings you joy and you love spending hours in the kitchen every single day, like do it. If it brings you happiness and you love it, fantastic. But if you don't or you can't in this season of where you are, own that. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. And one one thing to add to that is I, I've worked with people who are, you know, they have three kids, four kids, two kids, even one kid, and they enjoy doing that stuff for their kids, but at a at the risk of ignoring their own body's needs. Yeah. So you can enjoy cutting your fruit into star shapes and, you know, the surprise on your kid's face when they see that beautiful lunch. But it's also like we got to take care of ourselves. And if you're ignoring your workouts, ignoring eating yourself because you're so busy making these beautiful elaborate meals for your kids mm-hmm. and your family, then that's another, you know, another discussion to have. Sure. Yeah. Totally. totally, totally. I definitely see that. And it's hard because something that brings you joy, like it is, it can be joyful to feed your, feed your family. I personally don't find joy in that. I'm going to be honest. I like yeah. baking, but not, don't like cooking. And uh, food was never a big, I like eating, but yeah, cooking was never a big thing for me. And then there's also guilt behind that. I don't feel the guilt, but some moms feel the guilt if they're not the person in but their so family. But so that is doing also scheduled in, right? Like I, I love doing it, and I love making the things that are like, I just I love doing it. But when I can, like I've had mm. to sort of learn myself that that can't be the top priority every single day, right? It's not always that, and there is an importance to, again, to like to your kids. And I posted like, I think a reel about this on Instagram, like a a while ago, like, you know, parents feeling guilty about like not having a nice meal and like feeding your kids cereal for dinner or whatever. And then also remembering that that's an opportunity for you to teach your kids, like when you need a break, take it. Right. And like the things that we can teach our kids through that. So that again, 
they don't grow up to feel guilty about taking their own time, taking right? About like into, yeah. prioritizing their own health or their their like their mental health or their space and all of that kind of stuff is is super important. Like there's so many lessons that we can teach our kids through food. I think like, you know, we spoke about already, like body autonomy, you know, take like taking a stand for for who you are and what you need, prioritizing your mental health, taking breaks when you need it, like all of those kind of things really recognizing what am I teaching my kids tonight through through this dinner meal? Am I teaching them that like I'm exhausted and I'm done and like I'm just going to push through because, you know, I need to and who cares about myself? Or am mm. I teaching them like, you know what, sometimes it's okay if it's not perfect and because mommy needed a break. Mm-hmm. And I another lesson is with that is that not all families can afford to eat the same way and or have, you know, maybe there's single parent families or there's double parent but there's only one that's able to be at home for dinner so you know I think too sometimes we'll say not everybody has the ability to have this elaborate meal right now so we should be grateful for that but also we can't look down on other people who may eat differently because cereal for dinner I remember growing up and my parents were both working they were working two jobs I would eat cereal for dinner I loved it I got into the kitchen I started cooking the first time that I was was my both my parents worked late on Tuesday nights and so I'm the youngest so like two of my older siblings were already like out of the house or sort of like doing their own thing um and it was my sister and me at home and I was in charge of my own dinner on Tuesday night and I used to make pancakes for dinner Mm. right like I literally got into the kitchen and developed an absolute love of cooking I do I love cooking I love being in the kitchen I love playing around with things but by making pancakes, right? So for sure, like there was nothing wrong with cereal for dinner. But even more than that, it's like what what did that even, you know, taking it down to like the basics of a balanced dinner or the basics of, of a simple dinner, what does that allow your kids to learn? What does that allow right. your kids to experience, right? Like I if my if my parents had asked me at like 12 years old when I was doing it to um make like I don't know, like a three course dinner for myself on Tuesday night, I would have been like, uh, I don't have no idea how to do that. But like pancakes, I can do. Mm-hmm. And then what else can I do? And then what else can I do? Right? Make it so, enjoyable. Totally. So there's there's so many other things. And again, like I think that this is what I want parents to be recognizing through food is like, let's stop focusing on the end product and let's focus mm. on the relationships that we're building and the experiences that we're having and the things that our kids are loving about the kitchen are loving about food because ultimately that's what's going to end up building the positive relationships that we so desperately want. It's so funny. I, I see a lot of parallel parallels in the work that you do and that I do. It's like people probably come to you with like, I want to make sure my kids eat the food that I put on their table. That's like their their yeah. vision of their goal. But people come to me like, I want to look the same like I did before having babies, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or I want to feel the same. But like the process of getting there, there's so many mindset shifts and totally. lessons. And it's a relationship with with your body, with your food, with with your kids, with your family. And I love that. I love that you take that approach. Um, what is kind of a way that you work with families? Is it through your, is it a Facebook group? Is it a one-on-one service? Um, so I have, uh, you know, you can definitely find lots of uh, free info in, in, I have a Facebook group and on Instagram. And then I also nice. have a 12-week group coaching program where families can come uh, called Food Foundations, where we have weekly group coaching calls. We have a private Facebook community and I have a member vault, um, you know, with 
tons and tons of, of video and PDF support resources, you know, some of which are sort of as we spoke about how do we prep kids with, you know, before they go to family members or to play dates, like all of those kind of questions that, you know, parents are really feeling super lost about. And inside the Facebook group, I also answer that daily email, uh, daily questions. And then I also have a one-on-one -on -one option to work with me as well um, in, in sort of, you know, a more uh, intimate capacity. Amazing. And I will include the links to all of that in the show, not show notes. So if you're listening to this and you're like, yes, I need that support, you can find Ahuva on our Facebook group and uh, through one-to-one -one coaching as well. What is the, I guess, do you have um, tips for people who want to create, uh, I, I was thinking about traveling with kids. Mm -hmm. If you want to create positive meals while traveling and this is an experience that I've had because maybe I'm vegetarian and this is probably something that people with food allergies can you know attest to how do you make that experience positive because sometimes what happens is we food prep we plan ahead before let's say we're yeah. going to a cottage for three or four days we'll just make all our meals or prep all our meals in advance so that we don't have to eat out and that's easy when you're staying at a cottage but if you're actually traveling you know one day in the future when things are reopened how what are your tips on like making the experience positive if you're at a restaurant and the kid's like I don't like any of this food and you're you're kind of stuck because you don't have a kitchen you have you don't have other options yeah, for sure. So, I mean, if you do have a kitchen, that's great. I always recommend, like, if you are traveling with kids and there's a restaurant or something like that, just looking at the menu um, beforehand and mm -hmm. ordering for your kids beforehand because kids typically have a really poor attention span. Mm -hmm. um, and so often, you know, when we get there and, um, and then they're sitting and then they're choosing and then they're, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um, also don't be afraid for like at restaurants to ask, how can we make it accommodate? Like, how can we accommodate your, your, if you do have a fussier eater, number two, and also just being mindful of the fact that like, maybe that's not going to be the best couple of days of eating because mm -hmm. when we are out of the house, when we're, um, you know, just out of the routine, when we're somewhere where it is stressful inherently for our kids sometimes eating does become you know a bit more stressful right if you're already in a new place and new foods are nerve-wracking for you you might not be so inclined to try something new when you're already in, a, in an uncomfortable setting um and you know somewhere new so doing the best that you can with bringing non-perishable things like can we build meals for our kids um, you know, in the hotel room, can we use things like dried fruit? Can we bring things like nut butters? Like what, what are your kids comfortable foods so that even for a couple of the meals or snacks throughout the day, um, you know, we can have them having something that they're comfortable with. And mm -hmm. then also, can we possibly shift our expectations, right? For those couple of days, the volume that our kids are eating at meals might be more of a snack and the snacks may be more of a meal. Right. So mm -hmm. for bringing foods that they're comfortable with as an afternoon snack, they may load up there. They might eat their fill there, almost like a meal serving, because those are the foods that they know. And then we can use the opportunity at the restaurant to just be like, hey, it's a new setting. This is fun. Like, do we want to. This wanna... is for fun. Yeah. Exactly. Like, it's just a fun exposure to new foods. It's just an opportunity for us to just sit around as a family. Um, but just, you know, at least we as parents can feel comfortable, even though you might not be overly happy with, you know, that like it might still feel a little bit uncomfortable if they're eating their meal at snacks because it's a mindset mm -hmm. reversal. Uh, yeah. But the reality is like they've sort of already had their meal. And so, right. you know, that's sort of how I view sometimes dinner at my house with with uh, toddlers who are in daycare. 
because yeah. I'm like the person who gets the the message like, oh, their kids like lick their plate clean at lunch and snacks and all of that kind of stuff that I'm like, okay, how many meals have my kids already eaten in the day? What are my expectations at dinner time? right? Am I expecting a meal? Am I expecting a snack? And for me, that's the biggest stress relief in terms of like, how can I manage my own expectations? And so when we're leaving the house, that's a really big, you know, positive question to just ask yourself, what am I expecting? What are your expectations? Right. Yeah. And that's a great point because since my kids have started daycare, my daughter, again, eats really well at daycare and has a huge afternoon snack there. So she doesn't eat as much at dinner since she started there. And sometimes I'm like, you know, is that a problem? But you know what? It she's gotten used to it. And it's different than what we do at home on weekends. And that's okay. Totally. Um so interesting. Now I would like to ask you a few questions, my final thoughts. Okay. And these are questions about you. So Excellent. what is your, do you have a favorite book, favorite podcast? What do you like to uh, read or hear, listen to? Oh my gosh, I listen to so many podcasts. Do you? But I actually, yeah, I love podcasts. I listen to them when I'm doing everything. Except that now when I'm doing the dishes, I also have you in my head. I usually <laughs> listen to podcasts and now I have you being like, watch your positioning. Shake your bum if your pelvic floor is getting tight. Yes. Um, Unclench that (laughs) pelvic floor and butt. But uh, I actually love the Armchair Expert podcast. Um, It's a very interesting – like I – it's actually by Dak Shepard. He just has a number of different, um, you know, experts and academics on. He also has different celebrities on. And I always think that it's interesting to sort of see people in a different vantage point than you might see them. So sometimes I like listening to, you know, the various like celebrities or like – um, movie stars or you know singers or whatever and just seeing their process and I think there's something beautiful to learn from every person's process um, right in whatever they're an expert in yeah and so I love that um, books I have so many one that I love that I haven't um, read in years is the five people that you meet in heaven mm. um, that is it's um, by the same person who wrote Tuesdays of Maury Um and then, and that's also just, you know, in, in terms of like, it's a book that's sort of about seeing people's backstories and like, you sort of think that you know them, but then really like being able to see their backstories and, you know, how they came and just realizing that every person has a history before you've come to you meet them, them. Beautiful. Yeah, which I think is really important. Um, and then I also love the books, um, Brendan Burchard's book on um, his, his six habits. Oh my gosh, I'm blanking on the name now, but that's one of my favorite books that I actually listen to the audiobook probably quarterly. Wow. Yeah. What I have to look you have to let me know what what the name Hold of the on. book I'm is. Hold on. I'm going to I'm going to pull you over with me because Sounds I'm sitting good. here on my on my bookshelf. High performance habits. Ah, nice. Awesome. I was going to say listen to it quarterly. It's got to be a good book then. Yeah. Um, awesome. So what are three things that you try to do for yourself every day? Self-care, things that you just feel like make you you that make me me I actually have a you know what it's it's funny um I have a list of things that I do and I'm starting to like sort of own them more as I become an adult being like it's okay that I need to I used to think that they were like like so weird that I did them but I I you'll never see me with my nails undone if I I don't have nail polish on my nails there's an issue there's something happening (laughs) I just yeah I feel naked I feel like I function differently I, I like, I will have always ironed or blown dry my hair. I just, yeah. I, I function differently and it sounds so silly, but I do. I just, yeah. like I'm a different person when I start doing that. 
Yeah. Um, I make sure I, I exercise regularly. Yeah. Uh, it's not daily because uh, I'm a very routined person. And so if I start doing something daily, I'm going to have to do like a whole thing. Da- and so I, I like the flexibility of not every day yeah. doing like a, an organized movement. Whole workout. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I move when I can when I'm not doing that. But like I don't like – I want to leave flexibility in my day. Uh, but those are a lot of things that I that I do for myself. And I nice. make sure that I go to bed early. What's your bedtime? 10 p.m. That's my like future goal. Right now, I'm, I've been working, I work to midnight. Now I'm working up to 1130 and I'm kind of inching towards oh latest 11, but 10 would be amazing. You know, I'm a night owl always, though. it's like, it's the middle of the day and I'm like, I'll see you later. <laughs> I'm in my pajamas ready. <laughs> but you know what? It's sleep is so necessary. Yeah. We ignore sleep so much yeah. in our like society with our hustle culture and as a night owl, I've been reading this book called Why We Sleep and it talks about how night owls tend to get at the worst because they are able to stay up late because mm-hmm. their bodies naturally stay up late but then they still have to wake up early with the kids they still have to wake up early with everything else exactly. so they're the ones that get the least amount of sleep yeah. which then obviously detrimental health effects of that so I've really yeah. been trying to focus on that um, what's something that you've been into lately that you're passionate about oh my goodness that's a really good question um, I have an infant at home so not a heck of a lot <laughs> <laughs> I work. I do my things. I I was going to say, that is okay. Um, It's just something to think about if there's something else that you're like, you know, excited about. And it can be those other things, those little daily routines that you've already established for yourself. Um, And so we've already talked about how listeners can reach you with questions or comments. So you are on Instagram as? AhuvaRD. That's A-H-U-V-A-R-D. Nice. And then where else can people find you? Uh, my Facebook community is called The Busy Mom's Guide to Feeding Your Family. Awesome. Perfect name. Um, and what would you say is your mom's strength? My mom's strength. Oh, my goodness. That is a really good question. Um, my mom's strength is really under like working to understand all of my kids. I think it's, it's one thing that like, I've had to sort of um, and, you know, we joke about the fact that, like, my daughter is me and my son is my husband and, you know, like, and my third son is, like, a character all on his own. <laughs> um, but sort of just, you know, actually recognizing, that, like, each kid is different and it's okay. Like, we need to be able to connect with them in the way that they want to be connected with. Mm. Um, and I think that's, you know, something that I, that I really consciously work on um, is making sure that I'm connecting with them in ways that they want to be connected with. Um, and I'm really proud of that. That's awesome. I love that. I love asking that question because I think we are so quick to, in general, as people focus on the negatives. Mm -hmm. And I really want people to remember, this is your strength. This is what you own. This is what you bring to your family and to yourself. Uh, And then that's something special to celebrate. Totally. I love that. So, Uhuva, thank you so much for spending the past you know, almost hour with us and chatting about how we can support families, how you support families to uh, better relationships with food with less stress. I really appreciate you taking the time to come chat with us today. If you are listening to this and you found this conversation helpful, please share it with a friend who needs to hear this. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Mom Strength and being part of this important conversation. Check out the show notes for more info and links, and we'll chat again real soon.